Hello, welcome back to Eldritch Girl. This is really exciting because we've got Lucy Rose, who is a filmmaker, and we're going to discuss the indie horror short, She Lives Alone. Um, Lucy, would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, I am Lucy. I'm a filmmaker based in the Northeast, and I'm the writer-director of She Lives Alone. Um, She Lives Alone was such an amazing, fun project to be able to work on. The development process was really fun. I worked really closely with my producer to explore the rural landscape of the place I grew up, which is a place in Cumbria. And I really just kind of wanted to bring a small facet of our like Celtic regions and that tiny little culture uh, to, to the screen and combine that with my love of gothic horror and ghost stories and all the stories basically that I heard in Cumbria growing up that used to keep me up at night forever. She Lives Alone has gone to some really cool festivals. Um, it's gone to some BAFTA and Oscar qualifying festivals, which is really intimidating, but very cool. Um, and then It ended its journey by winning Best Drama Under 100K at the Northeast RTS Awards and getting picked up by Alter, which was the most amazing surprise in the whole world because now it kind of finally gets to see its audience after a virtual festival run. So that's that's lovely. That's so exciting. I'm really happy. Um, The whole film is about 15 minutes long and it is available on YouTube. So we're going to play a little bit of it, (laughs) which I'm really excited about, which is kind of at the end. So, I mean, spoilers, but it is a ghost story. So you can kind of, I mean, you can't see it. You can just hear the audio. (laughs) But we want to talk a little bit about the folklore behind it and... um, a little bit of what's going on so we're going to start from eleven forty-one in so you get a sense of the music and the dialogue it's very much a monologue isn't it a lot of it is a monologue mm-hmm. because it is well she lives alone right <laughs> so <laughs> yeah it's 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 really dark and atmospheric and I think there's maybe like two other characters mm-hmm. um in the whole film which is like uh, you know really cool okay so let's see how this let's see how this works. actually going to pause it there because that's like a really good bit (laughs) I'm gonna just say just that little section um so I think the coolest image um of that is the um the iron nail through the bible through a hand which I'm assuming is an exorcism ritual or part Mm -hmm. of an exorcism ritual and um can you tell us a little bit about 
that element and the the little bit of dialogue that she's got as a kind of mantra the is it bury you in earth bury you in mud as thick as bark yes yeah yeah. Yeah. um so I grew up in like the tiniest tiniest village like it maybe had like six or seven houses um and it was so remote so if you wanted to go anywhere to like a shop you're looking at at least 25 minutes drive so the the sense of isolation um and because of that like the community and what the community felt like and how we as people kind of used storytelling as a method within our like our tiny tiny little culture that again seven houses um <laughs> I basically took things that I'd heard in my childhood and sort of morphed them and manifested them into this film. So um, I used to live by this woman who I will literally remember for the rest of my life, um, who was very superstitious, extremely superstitious woman. um, And she was just the most incredible person. Um, So like unashamedly weird, just she was just her true self, which I think is so difficult in a small community to be able to just like live your weirdness and like not care um, what people think of you because everybody has opinions in those tiny little tight knit groups. Um, And she used to mess around with all sorts, but she, you know, she taught me like what Ouija boards were and what like voodoo dolls were. And she was really, really like spiritual and she 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 often talked about like how connected to the, to the earth and to the planet she felt as like a human and she used to when she had sometimes sometimes visit her after school and I'd sit in her kitchen while she was cooking dinner for her husband and she'd just sing these like really weird songs that she just made up herself like these little folk tunes and I just sort of pulled phrases and lines and words that she'd sing because she did she I think she was just sort of in hindsight as like a grown woman I sort of I think I see her loneliness now and how like that connection to the the earth and to nature was something that like really really kept her from going insane and it was a sort of gravity to her and that's kind of what I wanted to give to Maud was this sense of like you might be like without person or people but you're not on your own you can always rely on like different spiritual things to sort of find your center in terms of like the bible and the nail going through the hand I think it's really metaphorical but I really just wanted to talk about the like the power that was kind of harnessing her and the struggle between like how her mum was treating her so for context people watching who haven't seen it Maud lives alone that's the she and she lives alone <laughs> um her mum's just passed away and she's basically like in this sort of grieving period um and she begins to realize that she's haunted by the spirit of her mother and her mother left her one thing which was a bible and it was because the mother always thought she was a wicked girl and basically at the end of the film she casts out the spirit of her mum by like bonding herself to this bible like physically binding herself to it and I think it's in part it is a metaphor about like I think in terms of like discussing themes like trauma like that trauma is always going to be a part of us you can't separate they're like they're together and that's horrible but like I don't think that that's a bad thing I think it's like an acceptance 
that like it's just one of the bags you're carrying with you on in your life and one of the items that you're keeping with you and it doesn't make up you as a full person it's just something you've got on you in a more sort of physical sense for me like one of the sort of the staples of rural life is cast iron you see it everywhere you see it made making the gates making the beds making the keys like the locks everything so I think it's just a part like bringing that like that industry and that sense of like objects having a space in our community and like how like it sounds really ridiculous but one of the other things is like um the redstone you constantly see sandstone in in Cumbria it's everywhere you fucking go um all the houses are made out of it (laughs) and everything is red and orange and rust and copper colored so it's just one of those things about like bringing the identity of the land and the place and the people whether that's the minerals, the materials, the industry and embedding it in the world of the film so that it feels real. And also acknowledging that the the spirituality of the place. So like with the the folk song that is in the film, acknowledging that however small the culture is, it doesn't mean it's not important. And like that folklore, I think, is a hugely, hugely important staple of that place. And I just really wanted to like bring that to life in this in this film. I think it works really well like um and I also like the detail when she draws um so she has the bible in the palm of her hand and then she draws a diamond on the front of the bible around the cross is that is that from is that from something or is that a detail that organically came about or is that based in folklore so one of the things that came from is that sort of like rhombus square shape um is the the woman who was who used to live next to me again this incredibly spiritual woman who I like everything that I learned about our tiny culture like I learned from this person and she used to make these like they were like twigs that you'd like put into squares and then you put like different twines around them and like so like you know one day it'd be like fishing twine that she like she like her husband was like used to fish a lot so she'd like take some of his fishing twine and it was always like little like these little rhombus shapes I can't do it like that um and she put like little flowers in them and like she used to just leave them around her house I was never quite sure what they were but she always used to say she always used to call them wishing hexes she just leave them around and like they were always like bring good fortune and like it was really beautiful it was really beautiful oh that's really interesting I like that melding of um so that kind of folk tradition and then Christianity and then like mm-hmm. different spiritualities that you get kind of melded in yeah. a place like that. And I think that that's like a truth though, isn't it? Like I don't, I think a lot of people find spirituality and it, I no one person's version of any faith is the same. And that's like something that's actually quite beautiful. And that's like born of our experiences so yeah and I think um it's like a flavor of folk Christianity as well Mm -hmm. because like I think it's become from outsider perspectives I think it's a very homogenous religion or a very homogenous spirituality and I think Mm -hmm. a lot of that is due to you know like perceptions of modern evangelicalism and that kind of thing Mm and but I think you're right like in different enclaves people still do have their Mm -hmm. own traditions and it's really it's really cool to see that because it's a period drama as well Mm -hmm. this film so it's like linking back to a kind of earlier age and an earlier Mm -hmm. kind of expression of Christianity and like folk Mm -hmm. Christianity 
but also i mean what, what did you have a did you have a year like that it was set in or was it g- general um so for, i um, i imagine it's set in mid 1850s but like the year is quite vague yeah. um but i think like one of the actually speaking of like time <laughs> one of the really fun aspects of the film is that where it's based has such an interesting relationship with time so like Cumbria when you look into its background it's wild like it's being constantly fought over so its identity is like a complete mishmash of like different cultures from like Norway to Roman to old 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 English to like you know everything it's there's like Germanic in there and everything it's absolutely insane so I think that sense of time and even though it is a period drama like one of the things we tried to create was this sense of timelessness to it so like it almost exists in its own pocket yeah um and that was like really crucial for us we kind of imagined like when we sat and we thought about it as like a creative team we were like maybe this is what it felt like because it was so disconnected and its culture was so constantly changing and evolving and adapting new ideas from like people who came and left or people who conquered and then were defeated and yeah I think that works really well in the film because you've got it centered only on like two locations which is her cottage which Mm -hmm. is miles from anywhere so her friend from the village actually comes to visit her but you never see the village Mm -hmm. and you don't see it through her eyes you don't see it through her friend's eyes you don't see any other people at all you and you have a sense that the village is quite a walk away so she has to travel to get in there however long that takes and it's just this idea of there's no civilization that kind of thing and and even the civilization that there is it's obviously not urbanized and it's obviously like quite far from any kind of urban center so you've already got that kind of thing going on and the cottage itself is a, is where the horror is that's the the locus of the domestic horror because the spirit of the mother is haunting her in the house and so you the other place you see her is just on the moors or you know a uh, kind of is that that a ring of standing stones isn't it that she's in mm-hmm. yeah these standing stones were actually based on like reels i we really really wanted to shoot like in the place because but it would just it's because it's an active spiritual site it just wouldn't be ethical to shoot there um but the standing stones based on a real stone circle called long meg and her daughters which is a place i used to visit all the time and when you go now it's just the most beautiful place it's in the middle of nowhere there's like ribbons in the trees and bells and it's just stunning but i mean that sense of isolation is like i think with it being a short film you can't from a technical a boring technical perspective you can't explore those worlds but I wouldn't want to do that anyway like I think it's I re- like as as um just as a personal preference to like how I approach things I, again like going back to that word like pockets I really like to capture like small pockets hidden histories quiet tragedies that don't necessarily get written down in the history books um because they're not deemed important enough to write down and like when we think about period dramas, we think of like glitzy, giant, polished, glossy manor houses, sweeping romances, like, you know, especially with like the massive Bridget and fad that's going around at the minute. Like you don't think of like the real people and the very real lives and consequences and events and 
you know, those hidden pockets of laughter where one person looks to another and realizes that, oh my God, that's my, that's my partner and I'm going to spend my life with them. Or, you know, I hate my sister because she's the worst person in the world. Like, and you have to, they had to share beds because they had no, no money. Like it's those like really tiny moments that I tried to catch onto because they're just not explored enough. But I think it really serves horror because horror is like, it's everything we fear as a society and I think you know I think in some ways like rural communities like the way that they're treated within like our societies is odd like you often refer to hear them referred to as like sheep shaggers or whatever or like farmers and that comes with the the added like sort of thing of like well they're not clever enough to have an opinion or this or that but then in sort of on the flip side that those communities are also like beloved for their influence on like things like literature from like every genre you know from your Beatrix Potters to your you know everyone else so it's a really I think that sort of like push and pull and those two opposites create a real conflict which is why it serves horror so well because you kind of have to address those conflicts within the subtext of whatever you're making can't remember where I was going with that (laughs) just monologuing about justice (laughs) you know but it is though isn't it because you've got like rural communities do have that um polarized effect so they're either either idealized and it's like this is the pastoral idyll before urbanization when everything was perfect or exploited Mm-hmm. Um, because of the natural mir- mineral, you know, stuff. So you've got things like the South Wales coalfield, mm-hmm. which is where I grew up. And there's huge chunks taken out of the landscape. There's massive mm-hmm. scars on the mountains from the quarries. And then dying communities exist because mm-hmm. they were only there for the mines. And now there's no mines and there's no reason for those communities to exist. And mm-hmm. people are like, well the community just shouldn't exist you should all just go and it's like where where are they gonna go you know and I get very annoyed about that because it's it's you know there are communities that exist and they have their own identities they have their Mm -hmm. own deep roots in that Mm -hmm. place and that sense of place both traps them there and anchors them Mm -hmm. there at the same time yeah And I think you get that in this film as well, that sense of both entrapment and anchorage Mm -hmm. comes across in like, she won't leave the cottage because she hasn't got anywhere else to go. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, that's all she's got. She's not going to, what's she going to do? Like move to the city with what money? Like, (laughs) you know. No, it's true. It's, I mean, everything you've just said, like chef's kiss, by the way, five stars. (laughs) Because I was just sat like, yes, I would listen to a podcast just about that. But like, you're so, you're so right. And I think, do you know what? I was talking about this <laughs> this morning, but I think it's that like, that split thing we have as humans where our bodies want to be connected to nature. Like that's what we want in our bodies, in our bones, in our fibers. But our brains are like, I want capitalism. So like, you're <laughs> like stuck in the middle. Like, I don't know where to go. Like, and I, I've already said this, the middle ground is Animal Crossing because you get that like <laughs> relaxed, beautiful countryside but you're doing it through capitalism (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's it's difficult as well to see it from a from a 19th century working class perspective Mm -hmm. which obviously we are so divorced from now that we have to see it through the filters and the lenses that we bring to it because everyone Mm -hmm. sees things through the lens of their own culture whether you think you do or not right Mm -hmm. so um it's it's a really interesting 
exercise in just looking at like a little bubble, like a little, bu- like, yeah. like you said, like a pocket of time. Yeah. Um, and what I love about it as well is that that quiet domestic drama that we haven't seen, but you start to fill in the gaps for yourself because a lot of it is the silence Mm -hmm. and the things that she is not saying. And particularly in the dialogue when her friend just comes to visit her and is like, oh, where have you been? And she's like, oh, you know, I've been here. (laughs) Yeah, just living my life. life. Except she hasn't been Mm because she's been stuck in the house on her own. Her mum's dead. And then I think that that's you get the sense that that space of grief and absence is the time when she's actually starting to realize how shitty her mother was to her Mm -hmm. like when you're going through it and living it and you don't have any other options but to stay in your situation Mm -hmm. you can't go anywhere because Mm -hmm. there's nowhere to go and you have no means to go anywhere and everyone in the village in a community like that anchors you to that community because they're the only people that you know but also you feel like you have these senses of duty and responsibility to your mother mm-hmm. but that, that that sense as well is imposed upon you by other people who think that you do right mm-hmm. that you've grown up with and so you have to answer to everybody in that community based on your choices as well mm-hmm. and she obviously doesn't want to do that like she not not for, you know not not for any bad reason, but it's just she's um, like seems like a very introverted kind of mm-hmm. character who doesn't, you know, doesn't have that ability potentially to stand up for herself. In and you kind of get the impression that's very much the mother's fault. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> but yeah, and this idea that she's wicked uh, and mm-hmm. that kind of that the mother's constantly telling her that she's wicked, and then at the end you get that realization of you always said I was wicked, but it wasn't me, it was you. And Mm -hmm. that like is, and the only time she could have said that is when her mother is dead. I know. It's sad, isn't it? Yeah. It's so fucking sad. Yeah. I think it's, do you know what it is? <laughs> no, crying it is. here. Like, I was like, it's, oh my God. It's so sad because it's almost like, it's like a, it's like justice, but it's not the justice she deserves, I think. Yeah. Um, which is yeah. what makes it horror because, and it's also what makes it true, right? Like, yeah. it's, it's so sad. And I think it's, do you know, like one of the things I, I like I always talk about this but I think it's so so true and I think if we all just like looked at this and like acknowledged it it would really change the way we think about um how we express ourselves as humans which is like I think obviously like as a culture as a society as a civilization we've picked up bits and pieces of our history and we've those are the bits that have survived that's what we are now and I think the bedrock of like what we're doing at the minute is like extremely Victorian which is why I call it Gothic piece even though it's not got like the big manor house and like the two orphaned children and (laughs) (laughs) you know um but I think that's that's why I call it a, a Gothic piece is because I think in terms of it's what it's trying to say about like us as humans now like we are most directly linked to that time where capitalism became everything like mass production science medicine industrialism all of these new things that started changing the way we experience the world things that kick-start kick technology to like a new level things that opened the door to expression conversation like newspapers were selling more books were selling more people were experiencing new perspectives 
whether they liked those or not disliked them you know and I think it's that thing of expression like now when you put a parallel to that and you talked about like how quiet she was how she never says what she thinks and I think you know like especially like we didn't make that film in lockdown that was a pre-covid film it was written years before covid even happened um and it is just by chance that like everything that we experience about when it comes to human expression was just absolutely amplified during the covid lockdowns so like when we look at how we communicate our lives especially on things like social media and I know that this is so corny but like we never say what we really think really I think you know when people are getting even when people appear to be saying what they think when they're being reactionary on Twitter or getting triggered by an opinion um, and saying something because they just need to get the anger out like I think they're not saying what they actually think because they're reacting to something that's triggering them and they're not talking about the trigger they're talking about why they're angry about the thing that I'm like they've been triggered by likewise on the other side of that spectrum you've got like you know people who who you know thrived in lockdown I'm doing this I'm doing this wellness I'm doing this masterclass but really we were all struggling like you know and I think that's what Maud's experiences is just that like journey of like learning to express learning to get the words out the real words the ones she's actually thinking and not just what she's been told is acceptable to put out there and to let out of her mouth and you know I think that that really links to the gothic because it's all about you know repressed desire whether that desire is for like a person or like expression yeah definitely and I think yeah there's so much uh, I mean that there's that kind of sense of gothic isolation as well like we've we talked a lot about that and also like the I guess the the fracturing of your identity and the rediscovery of your identity mm-hmm. which Maud kind of goes through on this really short journey but it's a very intense journey mm-hmm. that we kind of go on with her and you've got that sense of that really intense time of grief and coming to terms with um, not just the death of her mother but also grieving for potentially the person that she could have been mm-hmm. yeah which she's yeah. only just coming to terms with and that's also kind of like a haunting for Maud as well you know the spirit of the mother is what we decide is haunting her and then at the end is like the reveal of the you know the actual spirit itself that you see which is very kind of a woman in black esque which I love I love that um I I love the fact also that she was also in mourning dress the mother mm-hmm. and presumably you know her husband's dead and that's why it's just her and her daughter or somebody you know but you get this dour woman who's sunk in her own grief battle and that has been haunting Maud also mm-hmm. like her mother's emotional absence and her you know through her life but what's actually haunting Maud isn't just the mother it's mm-hmm. a lot of things and so you get that kind of rejection and um you know that, that she tries to reject all of that and bind herself to something positive 
um, and cast out that spirit, but it's not easy to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I keep coming back to the Babadook in my head, like, because it's like something that you can't get away from. Like yeah. the Babadook is a, as a metaphor for grief that you can kind of lock it up somewhere mm-hmm. in a room and look at it and, and kind of acknowledge it's there and make sure that it doesn't hurt anyone else mm-hmm. and that you don't, you know, you don't lash out and you don't let it, um, escape and kind of damage and fracture relationships and you do that by acknowledging its presence and dealing with it in a mature way mm-hmm. and by communicating with other people about it um otherwise it gets in the way of your relationships which for me was what that film was about mm-hmm. um in particular like, between the mother and son and so here it's more almost is I, there's like a hint at the end that she doesn't succeed in that because mm-hmm. it almost overpowers her I'm going to spoil it a bit, but I think these aren't spoilers. These are more like reasons for you to watch the film because it's such a cool. I don't. Oh. I think if I could explain the whole film and then you wouldn't want to watch it, like yeah. that's. I don't understand you. <laughs> so yeah, so there's a bit where so after she's sort of nailed her hand to the Bible, um, the nail then comes out of her hand, and it sort of levitates. So, and it's almost like the iron is, it's almost like a rejection of her or a rejection of what she's trying to do. That that bond doesn't work. And that's kind of like, oh, is she a witch? You know, because mm-hmm. that, that sign of cold iron, not not being compatible with the person of a witch or a fairy or something like that. You know, you get that kind of link to it, which I thought was really cool. Um, but you also have the mother standing, the, the mother's ghost is in the frame behind her where she can't see it, but kind of looming over the proceedings. And you get this sense of like, what exactly is, is the mother causing the rejection to happen? And is it the rejection, this, you know, the physical rejection of the nail and the, you know, but, it's that kind of that that isn't going to be healed by a ritual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That whole thing is not going to be healed by a moment in time. Even no matter how grounded you are to the place you're in, no matter how well thought out that ritual is, no matter how desperate you are, that is a process that is going to take mm-hmm. years. And she is always going to be haunted by a, a, a numerous layers of things that have come out as a result of her relationship with her mother. So in a sense, her mother is always going to be there, whether her spirit is physically present or not. And that's kind of the end of the film is very ambiguous and very like quite chilling because you get that sense that it's not, it's not over. It's not going to be over. And Mm. that Maud's haunting is um, kind of something she's going to have to live with or not. And that's, that's the difficulty of living with grief isn't it that Mm -hmm. for me that was very kind of relatable and very powerful and I really appreciated like (laughs) the whole tone of it and I was like oh god yeah that was it was very upsetting as well like really upsetting to think about but I think that's like you say there's not a lot of space in a lot of kind of glitzy period dramas that are more about the romance and the upper classes Mm -hmm. to look at um, working class tragedy and you know that the ordinary people and those pockets of normal domestic drama and how they deeply impact someone for sure like I think 
I mean, I think Maud's like Maud's biggest tragedy is that it's you know the ghost is never going to go. She's just going to learn how to live around it, and you don't. I think that's kind of how that that grief and that trauma works. And I think another thing that's quite sad about these experiences is that like you can look at something ugly, whether that's an experience or a person, and it's really hard to accept that person as like a complex human being with their own troubles. Because I, it's, it, I think one of the hardest things to admit, and it's something you touched on actually, is like when you think about like the mother's character and like how she's in mourning dress, she's lost her husband, so like she's got a lot going on in her own mind. And I think one of the things that Maud can't look at is the fact that it doesn't make it okay and it doesn't make it acceptable what this woman has done to her. But like pain recycles into pain so often. Like that's, and it's horrible. I wish it didn't do that, but it does. It punches down and it punches down and it keeps going and it keeps going until someone's strong enough to go, nope, not anymore. And that is so, so hard. Whether Maud does that is remains to be seen at the moment because I think it's, that's, I think that's another journey. Like just looking at it is the first step, isn't it? And then like dealing with it in that, that in all its complexity, in everything that it carries with it that's like a whole other beast like it's just so much but I think you know like in terms of like the working class aspect like one of the things that just became so apparent to me when I was doing my family tree um and it's you know like I my family like I'm I grew up in Cumbria but my family are all from Yorkshire and I realized none of us really had left Yorkshire (laughs) since the 1500s that's what I discovered we'd always been in like this area of like Sheffield and Huddersfield um but I think what's so sad is um when you look at some of the family trees on like all of these research websites they have photographs they have items they have diary entries they have pieces of those people and I I still think I'm lucky because a lot of people don't have names but I just have a list of names I don't have church records. I have a couple of censuses that I found. And I just think that's so awful that like some we've deemed that some people are like worthy of being remembered and some people aren't. Like I just find that like horrifying. <laughs> and that's you know, like, oh God. <laughs> yeah, I taught a family history course um a while back and it was it's really hard when you've got like um very limited things to go on um and one of those things is the access which people don't I think take for granted now and don't Mm -hmm. realize but the accessibility of things like photographs Mm -hmm. um you had to save up for those and maybe there was only one you know one shop in the town that was like three towns over so that's a whole day of it and you have to take that day off work and you can't take days off work because that's not how it works I know you can't just (laughs) You're running a farm. You can't just go off and yeah. like, oh, you know, never mind about the cows today, dear. We're yeah. going to have our photograph taken. Like Booking that, some holiday. Yeah. So it's like, um, it's a very, it becomes a very lower middle class, uh, aspiring mm-hmm. middle class kind of thing, but a very middle class kind of thing to have your photograph taken. Um, but also the, I think people do, um, well, at least in Wales, you, you had to pay for a church service but you didn't have to pay to have your relationship blessed on the church steps mm-hmm. so there was a lot of so you won't have parish records of those blessings for the relationship mm-hmm. because those relationships were not technically legally marriage uh 
no you know. way so in wales like i know somebody was doing his family tree who was and he was in his he, he retired and he was doing it as a thing you know and he realized he was the first legitimate child in about 200 years oh my god that's yeah. insane and the reason was that it was just too expensive for people to get married. So they would, they um, they used to do a thing where they would take take on the name Mrs. Mm-hmm. the epithet and say that they were Mrs. Jones, but they never legally changed it, and they never legally had the marriage certificate mm-hmm. to prove that. They just had, you know, they just moved in with their partner, took on Mrs. as a as an epithet and then had the children and the children all had the husband's name and everyone just worked around it as if they were married. Um, and that that's a lot more common than people think. And it was, um, you know, a lot more widespread, especially if you were poor. And that's why it's really hard to find a lot of the records, mm-hmm. but also just the accessibility of things like weddings, things like, you know, things that would leave that indelible, you know, that, that mark. That mark. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's honestly insane to me. Like, I think it's, it's just, I think that's where a lot of like my characters come from, even though like, I don't have anyone in my family called Maud, but like, I look at a name on a piece of paper and all I have is letters and I'm like, who were you? What did you look like? Was your hair brown like mine? We Did you have the same sense of humour as me? Like, just trying to like, really untangle like something that you have no information on and I think it's it's just that it's just that thing of like there are so many humans on this planet many like millions 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 you know and just trying to find a way to like honor every life even if it was small and I think god what you've just said has blown my mind a little bit I didn't know that what I'm not sure how prevalent it was in England or different parts of England but um Mm. Yeah, that's certainly the case in a particular area of Wales anyway. Yeah. But I wanted to like, um, I wanted to talk about the aesthetic of it as well, because you've got this, um, it opens with that end scene. So it's, mm-hmm. it opens with her on her knees on the moors, digging earth up. <laughs> and yeah. like, did that, so, and you use such a lot of muted colours and muted tones. Is that like... Um, was that a conscious decision from like the a standpoint of we want this to be gothic and we want we want it to look like this um or was that something organic or how did that kind of work out for you um so i i work super super closely with my uh, dp lizzie gilholm who's amazing um i think she's the best cinematographer in the world i might be a little bit biased but i do i think she's incredible um so a lot of the time you, you give a script to a DP like quite late on but I literally from the conception of the very idea before it's even written down like I WhatsApp Lizzie and I'm like hey I've got this idea I want to know what you think <laughs> so she's there from day dot and she bless her like she shouldn't have to she reads so many drafts and she really does see like a project fall from like you know the bare bones to like the fully fleshed like form that it ends up in um but me and Lizzie like we talked for a really long time about how we wanted this film to look we watched loads and loads of different movies that we really loved um but I think the main in terms of like creating aesthetic building a world like our main thing was like we want this to feel like it felt for Maud so 
the muted colours and the, the sort of like the mauves and the browns and the, the sort of like muted greens, like those are all colours she would have experienced and those were the colours of her world. Um, even down to like how much light we use. So like there's so this film is very dark, like extremely dark and you've really got to watch what's going on, but it's because they didn't have that much light. Like if you got up in the middle of the night, you'd go to the embers of the fire and you'd light a single candle and that's all you had to see in the house, especially if you didn't have like gas, gas lights. So we really wanted to like bring that sense of, of her world and like her, her, everyday experiences in terms of like what she saw what she felt like even the music that was like the the woman I worked with was called uh Di Hexen uh, who is an incredible Irish composer just has the most beautiful mind um it was super important for me to go to find somebody who lived in like a Celtic region because obviously like Cornwall up through Wales up through Ireland and then like the top strip of England and Scotland like those are the the Celtic regions and like I don't want that piece of that culture to be lost on the film so it was really important for me to find somebody from those regions and Di was you know luckily she was like I really like this project and I want to work with you and I was like amazing um and the first thing I said to her was I I wasn't super particular in terms of what I wanted. I didn't send her any music that I liked. I was just like, this is what you need to know about this film. And I said, it's about trauma. And like, I really want that to be like apparent in the score. Um, but most importantly, one of the main sounds that you hear in Cumbria is the sound of the helm wind, which is a specific type of wind crafted by the shape of the valleys. And it's this really high pitched whistle, but it is so strong. It can like literally pull the roofs off of houses like it is just fierce. And I just said to like, I want that. Like, I want that sense of like, it's it's flowing past you and you just have to keep yourself standing up um and I mean she came back with the most incredible score that I've ever heard in my life and I, I literally think I had one note and that was it and then we were done and <laughs> I don't I don't think that happens <laughs> but um you know there's some even in the, the quiet moments where like the score isn't like center centered central to like a scene like you hear that whistle and that's something that's all the way through. And like, it is just that sense of like creating Maud's world. And it, I, I love Gothic and folklore and like, I'm obviously influenced by those things, but it just so happens that they were central to Maud's day-to-day existence. And that's why it came through in those creative choices um, because she, she demanded it to be that way and I couldn't say no. <laughs> I think it really works. I love it. And I think the music oh, is you. so good. Like it's, it really adds, to the the Mm -hmm. drama of it and also like it's just got that right balance of like Mm -hmm. it's it's creepy but it's yeah and that whistle tone is just yeah very much it is chilling yeah and it very much adds to that (laughs) yeah like that sense of isolation and Mm -hmm. nature and like just being buffeted and like Mm -hmm. existing in this kind of uh you know world that because she, she's very much on the cusp of that industrial world of the 18 mm-hmm. the mid 1800s but also she's embedded in the past as well and like where, where you get that sense of the standing stone scene mm-hmm. and the the wild moors and that kind of thing that she's trapped by 
the past of the landscape as much mm-hmm. as by her own past, as much as by her family's history. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think that and the music just works so well with it and the colours and the, the you know, just that sense of darkness mm-hmm. and yeah it's, yeah it's just great it's very dark very very dark <laughs> <laughs> yeah no I, I I really loved it and I would recommend everyone watch it and I'm going to put the I'm going to put the link in the transcript so everyone can see it I might actually embed it in the I'm going to embed it in the uh, blog post so everyone can watch it and do you have anything that you want to plug um, while you're here or any other projects that you've already made that you want to tell people about go for it um, so I'm well I'm currently in post-production for my next film which is definitely more identifiably gothic um big house big spooky house uh creepy hallways um and I'm really really excited by it it's kind of I've honestly I've been working on this short film script for years uh, so it's really nice to see it like actually like exist um we're really really excited about it we're we're on a we're really really I think we're really close to like picture locking now but my producer will slap me on the wrist for saying that uh, but it's it's looking so so good and we're so fucking proud of it um and everybody who works on it just works so hard so I just I they are they are the best thank you if you're listening to this um but other than that, we're we're developing our our feature film as well, which is very <gasps> I know. Um and it's somewhere between like she lives alone and like the 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 sort of more gothic leaning uh taste, which is the film that's in post-production. So it's kind of like a nice love child between those two, uh, which I'm really, really excited about. And it's also based off a uh, a local folklore called the Croglin Vampire. So, Oh my God! <laughs> I know, I'm really excited. Uh, so hopefully that goes well. So like if anyone's listening, please manifest for us like crazy so that we can make it. Um, Is there a Kickstarter or any kind of like, could anyone contribute? Or you're, you're doing it via grants and things, right? Hopefully. Yeah, so yeah. we've um, we've just finished at a, a talent lab called uh, Edinburgh Talent Lab uh, Connects, which was a year long program with um, an amazing woman called Kate Lees, and also we got a mentor who was incredible. Um, and we're hoping to move from treatment stage to draft stage next. It's quite a slow process because with like larger projects, it just takes so much longer to like really refine the story. But I'm oh, I think you'll really like it. I hope you like it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that I will like it. <laughs> like, yeah. But um, other than that, I'm just vibing, you know, and manifesting like hell. <laughs> I think that's enough though, isn't it? Like, yeah. <laughs> you do, like that's another, like post-production and then like a feature film, like it's a yeah. hell of a lot of work. Yeah. Oh, I'm so happy. I'm so excited for that. So yeah, can't wait. Um, so everyone watch this space. <laughs> Go <laughs> follow Lucy on Twitter. Yeah, please, please do. I post hilarious memes and <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> oh, thank you so much for having me on. Like, I've genuinely loved this conversation. Like, you're great. So, yay! Well, feel free to come back anytime. I will. I'll be knocking so on your excited. door. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be so excited to watch the films that you've oh, yeah I'm just really really thrilled for you so yeah Thank you. lots of manifestation 
And that's all we've got time for. So thank you very much for listening. And we will see you again next week. Bye now. Bye.